come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Adrian. And polter guide, Debbie... She just, she had to go pack. She was going home or something, you know, after the party. So she's fine. She's She'll fine. be back. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's going to meet her dad and go home. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. She's fine. So we watched this week, everybody, the 1974, I'll say cult classic of uh, Bob Clark's Black Christmas. So let's go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Had you seen it before? Um, I had not seen it before, and um, if you had asked me, say, 15 minutes in, I would have told you that I was going to hate this movie. I was so mad, I wanted the entire sorority house to burn down and take everyone with it. Um, By the end, I really liked it. It surprised me in so many good ways. It was clearly a movie made in 1974, so some iffy stuff, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Adrian? Um, I have seen it before, uh, and I, I this one's this as far as old slasher movies go. This one's pretty delightful. Yeah, I I had seen this before. I I love this film. Like um, the little brother actually introduced me to it, and yeah, not mad at him for it. Like this is this is one that I'm I'm super a fan of, and always when I get a chance to watch it, I'm 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 down with. So <laughs> now. For those of you that don't know what Black Christmas is about, our good, good buddies at IMDb. You know, I I know IMDb always has an opinion on this stuff, but this movie is about the importance of taking care of our mentally ill citizens. I mean, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think they're going to disagree with you, Donna, but you're not wrong. What they say is that... You know, no, uh, actually, I I think this this movie is an analysis of the importance of a woman's right to control her own body. Also, yes. Also, not wrong, because they're also going to disagree with you on that. IMDb says that during their Christmas break... I'm trying really hard for one more good one about (laughs) stereotypes and cliches about women's lib, and I'm just not getting there. I got it. It's a movie about listening to women the first fucking time they tell you there's a problem. Yes. 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 Once again, not wrong. Not going to disagree with you. I am DB now. That's a whole other story. They're going to they're going to disagree. And what they say it's about is during their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. I that's mean, it. That's it. It's like okay. So is there like somebody? At IMDb, whose job it is, you know, there's that meme going around right now that's like, describe your favorite movie in the most boring way possible. Is that like what they do there? Is that the challenge at IMDb? A 30-year-old virgin comes across time to father his own best friend. (laughs) (laughs) See, I said as boring as possible. It's hard to get more boring than that. No, a 30-year-old virgin travels through time to father... Like, to father his own best friend? It's not boring. Okay, it's hard to describe that movie more boring. I tried. No, it definitely is not hard. I promise. I love you. (laughs) 
All right. Anyway, it's like that meme. Yeah. Yeah. Like IMDb, the whole of the IMDb summaries is just that meme. All right. All right. So let's get into it. I'm going to go ahead and say we'll be in spoiler territory pretty fast. Um, This is not hard to find, unlike when I saw it. Like it was tough. It was hard to find for a while. Yeah. It it was like one of those like bottom shelf video store movies for a long time. On Amazon Prime. Yeah. And it's on Shudder. But when I saw it, I got a copy from Amazon Canada. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, not uh, not not regular Amazon. Amazon Canada. So <laughs> that's why I said we're going to be in spoiler territory, but it's definitely easier to find it now. Thanks Shutter and Amazon Prime. Also, yeah. it came out in 1974, so like I feel like we're pretty if you haven't watched it yet, that's like you that's on you. Um I want to jump right in. I mentioned that at 10 to 15 minutes in, I was ready to burn the whole movie down. Barb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I want to talk about Barb and there's initially I was like, I am on team Barb because out of this entire house of sorority girls, she's the only one who's smoking. She's the only one who's cussing. She's, she's the only one who's drinking much. She speaks her mind. She's clearly sexually liberated. I was like, yes, team Barb. And then she says, you can't rape a townie. And I was like, Barb needs to die in a horrible method as soon as possible. Um, if they could have taken that line out Barb would have been my favorite character in the whole damn movie I don't think that she's supposed to be though I think that line even at the time was probably meant to be really incendiary because they don't want you to like Barb they want you to like Jess yeah Yeah. no for sure because Barb grows up to be Adrian Barbeau's character from the crate and creep show Mm-hmm. Um, she's not supposed to be likable, but um, the reason I did like her is that she was so. I mean, she's she's the feminist character, as people would say. This is the future feminists want. She she is the stereotypical liberated woman, um, as portrayed in 1974. And I wanted to like her because I felt like she was being set up. Well, she was. She absolutely was being set up as a straw man that needed to die. But they did some interesting things with Barb for it being 1974. I'm not going to disagree that she, she wasn't, you know, kind of awful, but you kind of also saw she had some issues as well with her mom and an unhealthy coping mechanisms. Like they gave her a layer of depth for a mean girl that you don't really Mm. see a lot of. And so I kind of got to give them, a little bit of props. I'm not saying a lot, yeah. but a little. And I, I thought it was interesting how it may not be fair to say the other girls were scared of her, but it was it was clear like the other girls did not want, like when she said, let's go skiing, and Phil was like, sure, Barb. And um, the other girl, I don't remember who it was, was like, yeah, sure, Barb. Like they didn't want to argue with her. But Claire was like, no, I'm going home. I just, I kind of, I kind of liked that this this girl whose defining characteristic up until the moment of her death was that she was a virgin um, was the one who was standing up to Barb. There's a lot done with the girls that I really, really like in this movie, especially when you take into account when it was made. Yeah, for sure. um, like, yeah, we're not supposed to necessarily like Barb. I think that that you can't rape a townie line is definitely there so that Jess can be like, Barb, shut the fuck up. And so we can immediately align with Jess. Oh, it's a um, save the cat moment. Yeah. 
yeah, like like that is the, I believe that that is the moment where we realize, okay, Jess is the main character here because we've been introduced to so many characters. Yeah. And, and that's the one where we're like, okay, this is the one that we need to, to focus on. I'm not saying it's great. I just think that that's no. why it's there. But every single one of these female characters actually has a lot more depth than they are given, than, we, than it initially seems like they do. And then most characters get in slasher movies at all, especially female characters in 1970 fucking four. And, and, you know, it occurs to me the same is true of the male characters, because look at the two, the two boyfriends. We've got the hockey player who is the good one. The hockey player is the one who is out there um, advocating for these girls, getting them help. The sensitive artist piano player is such a fuck boy (laughs) such a fuck boy fuck him (laughs) he is the literal worst well and going back to the girls that is one thing i really like about this movie just in that opening scene all of them look so different and so real like this Mm -hmm. is like this feels like yeah you you walk you could walk into a sorority and see these different types of women and i i just i love that it just makes my heart happy I really like this portrayal of a sorority too, rather than the portrayal that we've gotten in every movie since this. Like That's all of true. these, they weren't they weren't bitchy. They weren't bitchy, and they weren't all like super like <sighs> Park Avenue. Yeah, um, like all of these girls were allowed. Like Margot Kidder, wasn't she? Or Barb, wasn't she wearing like a baseball tee or something? She was wearing like a man's shirt with no bra under it, of course, because she's a feminist. Um, she was also like because a, she's Margot Kidder. <laughs> the outfit I I picture her in is that man's shirt with a with a big thick choker on. But yeah, she may have been wearing a baseball shirt at one point. I feel like, like I might have just inserted that character from Halloween, the best friend from Halloween, in my head at some point. But yeah, so they're all wearing like they're all wearing like clothes that people wear. They're not yeah. this like American horror story cruel intentions version. I know there's no sororities and in cruel intentions. I just can't think of any other movie right now for some reason. They're not that version of a sorority where all these girls are like super high-end designer clothes. And maybe that's just the 70s, but um it just this felt to me like the sisterhood that all movies since have told me sororities are supposed to be. I want to finish up talking about are we done talking about Barb because I've got one other thing I want to say about Barb. I got something too but you go first. I well having said all the things I said about the portrayal of Barb in this movie I want to say there's a big parenthetical comment around the word love. But I loved that Barb was killed by a unicorn, which is the traditional symbol of purity. <laughs> so for Barb to be killed by the traditional symbol of purity, I thought was kind of cool. But again, a lot of parenthetical around that. Y'all can't see me making my parentheses in the air. She's totally, <laughs> she's totally doing them. Actually, I have two things. One, I shouldn't have been laughing, but I was dying when Barb is giving the children booze at the little Santa mixer, like, oh my gosh. And it probably has my favorite line ever uttered in a slasher film, which is, I think the little bugger is schnockered, son of a bitch. And <laughs> can we just say that Margot Kidder was just just luminous and just fantastic in this role? Like, I've, I forgot how much I love her and have missed seeing her little just 
sassy sassy yes sassy and it just it you know i think that's why i know with me i give the character barb a lot of leeway is because i love marco kidder like i'm just i'll tell you right now i i want to preface this by saying that the line you can't rape a townie is absolutely a fucking shitty thing to say however everybody says shitty things at some point and doesn't she say that line right after getting off the phone with her mom i think so i don't remember but possibly so like you're saying she was already upset yeah like at that point hasn't she already been through the um obscene phone call and the phone call with her mom i think so like she's had a bad day yeah you know what it it reminded me of um and a, a weird tangent here i apologize but um i used to be a big fan of Heinlein, uh, Robert Heinlein, and I would I would still say his his writing is very influential on me, uh, even though I haven't read him in a couple decades. Uh, but I was on my third or fourth reread of Stranger in a Strange Land, which is like you know his, you know it's his opus. When I came across the line said by a female character, um, "If a woman gets raped, it's ninety percent her fault." And what I what I don't get is why it took me to my fourth read to go what (laughs) on my fourth read I went oh no I'm done and I I haven't read Heinlein since then and I had a a very similar reaction to Barb's comment because like I said I was kind of into Barb I know I probably wasn't supposed to be but I was kind of into her until that line and then it was it was like something just shut in my heart which was no doubt the intention, uh, but a door just shut and I was, I was done with her in, in much the same way. But that's, that's what I was reminded of. Your story about the reading the book and getting to the fourth time makes me think that that's just like, that just shows how people change and grow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe if Barb hadn't been murdered. Maybe if Barb hadn't been murdered, she would have grown into Adrian Barbeau's character from the crate in I mean probably Asia. sure yeah but it's the 70s we, we get we, we got to take what we can get from the 70s <laughs> yeah. man nobody was making good decisions back then have you seen their color palettes I mean yes. Jess is a brown and yellow leisure suit outfit Ooh. and how about that giant hands sweater that she started off in <laughs> I forgot about that yeah I want to I want to talk about Mr. Harrison just real briefly and then we can start back into some other characters. I really, really liked Mr. Harrison. He is still the reigning champ for judgy eyes, as far as I'm concerned. I've, I've just never seen judgy eyes as good as his. And I'm just really intrigued. I mean, the, the ending of this movie is amazing, uh, but we will, I'm sure we'll talk about that at length. I am intrigued by the fact that at the end of the movie, he still hasn't had resolution. No. At the end of the movie, he still doesn't know. They're still saying, I'm sure we'll find her and she'll be fine. And I, just, I think that's a really interesting choice, and I like it. There are a lot of interesting choices in this movie, especially for a movie that so many people credit as like one of the original slasher movies. One of the things I find so cool about it is the way that it is unlike other slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Because other slasher movies definitely do want to deliver that closure and that resolution on just about everything except for the final scene where the killer comes back. And I mean, this movie's final scene where the killer comes back is probably like the best. 
and the most, oh, yes, this makes sense. I don't need to, like, convince myself that this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that you, you brought up the influence of this film. And that's the whole reason my brother introduced it to me, because he knows I love Carpenter's Halloween. And man, looking at this and watching Halloween, you see so many of Black Christmas's fingerprints on Halloween from the killer point of view shot to one of the, the death shots, tableaus, the death tableaus. And then you see them going through each room where he's not there. And, mm-hmm. you know, and also not having a resolution. Like you get that with this, this movie influences that um, the whole thing with the caller coming from inside the house. That's, I think it's 79 when a stranger calls came out and they do that, you know, amazing, you know, like 20 some odd minute scene with all of that going on. I have to break in. We'll get back to this. I just have to break in that I traumatized my child at a very young age by summarizing when a stranger calls. And I think my, my kid is, well, they're, they're an adult. Um, but I think to this day I could call and say, the call is coming from inside the house. And my kid would go, ah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I apologize for interrupting you. I just needed to share that. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) <laughs> well, it is it is a common urban legend. It's a but it's usually with a babysitter. No, yeah. no. But the other example that I had, which I mean, it's is a uh, scream with trying. Now, granted, and spoiler alert for Scream, it is the boyfriend, but throwing that suspicion that the boyfriend is the killer. Like, I mean, this film set up a lot of lot of things in the slasher genre, and it's and I just I I just can't believe there's not as many people that have seen it. That need that should have seen that if they are a fan of that genre, because man, it it sets up a lot. Yes, um, Phyllis, Phil. I'm assuming her name was Phyllis. They only ever called her Phil. Phil. I wish they would have done more with her. She didn't. She she was kind of like somebody who was there for them to talk to when they needed to talk to somebody. But and maybe it's just because we're in the middle of a pandemic. But. Near the end of Phil's life, when she blows her nose into a tissue, says, I have a cold, and then goes upstairs, first putting her hand, still holding the tissue on Jess's hand. Oh. That just was like, oh, God, no, don't, don't, don't do that. (sighs) Jess is for sure getting sick. There's no way Jess is not getting sick now. I mean, I think she's getting dead first. I was like, Jess has got some other things going on than the common cold, but you know, I know that's Dr. Donna's corner being concerned about. <laughs> don't don't put your still damp tissue on somebody else's hand. Just gross. I just like seeing the actress that played Phil is Andrea Martin from SCTV. So the fact to see her not as some something bombastic and over the top and kind of, you know, mousy. It was it was nice because it was like, oh, mm-hmm. Andrea Martin, hi. It actually took me a little while to recognize her because she was not being Andrea Martin, you right. know. So I did love her hair. Oh my god, her hair was amazing. But, you know, for being in the seventies, the hair in this movie was actually pretty good. Even Barb's hair, like I didn't necessarily like the way she had it combed, but just a finger through your hair is real quick, and that would have been some really beautiful, like. Zoe de Chanel hair. Yes, for sure. 
My mom's, one of my mom's favorite movies when I was growing up was Romeo and Juliet. And so seeing Olivia Hussey in this one is all, is, is, is always kind of a delight. She's so very different here. Yes. There are a lot of times near the beginning of the movie where she feels like the worst, worst actress in this. Part of it was because they never gave her a long enough line for you to get her accent. Yeah. Like, I remembered that the actress had an accent, but her lines were all, like, really, really, like, hello, no, hold on. You know, really short lines so that you're like, there's something odd about her voice, but not really getting, oh, she's got an accent, um, which I found a little, I mean, I know that Olivia Hussey has an accent, but watching the movie i wasn't sure if she was supposed to or not for a long time it almost felt like they were directing her to do an american accent Mm -hmm. and she was doing it poorly yeah and it's not until much later in the movie that when when she does get the longer lines that it's like oh no she's just talking Mm -hmm. one of the uh one of the first notes i wrote down (laughs) in that opening shot the camera jiggle was like it was so distracting it was just this long shot of the house except the camera is very clearly just being held by some dude and it was it was so distracting i kept going why aren't you just using a still shot just use a still shot and it wasn't until very near the end of that shot that somebody walks into screen that there was actually a reason for it to be a live shot which was followed by billy needs a cpap Billy has some respiratory issues that really need to be addressed. Billy has a lot of issues that need to be addressed. For sure. When he's in the institution, they need to get him a CPAP. I was like, I think the respiratory issue is being addressed is, is probably the bottom line, bottom tier of what, of Billy's problems that uh, they need to work on. I'm not, not saying that that's not a, a concern, but there, there's some higher level stuff that uh, needs to be taken care of. So back to Olivia Hussey real quick. Do you know why she did this movie? Uh-uh. No, why? Because she'd been told by a psychic that she would make a film in Canada that would earn a lot of money. Did it earn a lot of money? I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's that see. Is- the- also, do you guys like all the titles for this movie? were were really fun okay so this says that it was distributed in canada because okay so it's distributed in canada but they changed the title to silent night evil night because i guess they were worried that it would that black christmas would make people think it was a black exploitation movie mm. uh, but then they retracted that and changed it back to black christmas it was released in chicago and new york city in 1975 as well as 19 theaters in Los Angeles, and then a total of 70 theaters nationwide. And I don't know what these numbers are for 1975, but this doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't okay, okay. seem like a lot. However, it was the third highest grossing Canadian film of all time in Canada with, with a gross of $2 million. Okay. Behind the, apprentice, the Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. Never heard of it. And the French language, du film, and du film, I don't speak French, clearly. <laughs> uh, uh, but since we're talking, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, it grossed 
over 4 million internet, just over 4 million internationally, managing to earn more than its budget of 620,000. I am stunned its budget was that high. Yeah. Stunned. <laughs> I think its budget was that high probably because of the cast, right? Okay. Yeah. I sure. mean, you've got Olivia Hussey, Margot Kidder, Andrea Martin, and then the, probably there's also other big names on here that I just don't from recognize. 2001. I wasn't John, born until eight years after this movie came out. So John, John Saxon has been in fucking everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, like there's, they're spending on this on this cast, especially well, the, for a horror movie. Well, the three the three big ones that they probably spent on the money. You're going to have the guy from 2001 because that had come out. That had been known. Olivia Hussey for Romeo and Juliet because that had already come out, been known, and John Saxon. But everybody else because Kidder Kidder hadn't done Amityville or Superman, so she's not known and. Andrea Martin hadn't hit SCTV. So these are, I mean, those are the three that your money's getting spent on. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about um, Jess and her storyline. Because I was so pleasantly described, so pleasantly surprised. I I think my fifth note was this story's going nowhere good. As soon as she said she was pregnant. I don't know when I've ever been so glad to be wrong. That story (laughs) went somewhere great. Um, we'll start with her conversation with Peter, who was, this was the opposite of a save the cat moment. Peter pops up with his gorgeous hair and pretty blue eyes and immediately says, you haven't asked me. You haven't asked me. Bite me, Peter. Um, that whole conversation, it was just like at every, at every moment he said the worst possible thing he could have said. He did. If if you if you had if you had like a flow chart of this is the right thing to say and this is the wrong thing to say, he went the left side every time. Every time. He went off the um, charts. But then later on when they talked, her line about how you remember how you told me you wanted to be a concert pianist and I told you I had all these things that I wanted to do. I still want to do those things. I just loved that she's expressing, hey, what I want matters. Mm, I just, I was so impressed with a movie made in 1974 taking that approach, and written by a man, taking that approach to a storyline about pregnancy and abortion. I was, wow. Good job. You know, uh, yeah, especially, okay, so one real quick thing about this was... Written and directed by Rob Roy Moore. No, Bob Pro- Clark. Okay, produced and directed by Bob Clark, but written by Rob Roy that Roy Moore. And one of the things that he said about about writing this film was that he felt that college um, that that young adults. I'm not going to call high school students adults. I take that back. That young adults and no, I guess they are. I don't know. That's a teenagers. Fuck you, you're a gray area. <laughs> um, but uh, they that they weren't being uh, shown realistically. Um, and what is his quote? Uh, he wanted to get, capture the astuteness of young adults. And here's his quote. College students, even in 1974, are astute people. They're not fools. It's not all bikinis, beach blankets, and bingo. Good for and, you. Yeah, and I feel like, unlike a lot of dudes... <laughs> He was able to carry that 
thread of thought into writing female characters because none of these female characters are one-dimensional. They've all got a lot of things going on. They're all clearly thinking about the things that they're doing. And yeah, like, like none of them seem dumb, which is one of the things I really, really like about this movie, especially in the slasher genre, because so many slasher movies make their characters into fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, none of them. I mean, they are for a 98 minute film. You have so much character development mm-hmm. in in the sorority like and I mean, and same thing with the house mother, like just the little bit she's in like you. There's just so much character development that's packed in. While still also showing how like these girls all have autonomy and thoughts while still also showing how little uh, control they have when Claire's dad comes and the house mother is trying so hard to impress him because despite the fact that Claire's a fucking adult in college, he can still pull her out. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. For sure. Yeah. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Mack. I liked her so much. <laughs> oh, but I, I, I am confused by her hiding Sherry everywhere. Unless she's not supposed to have alcohol in the house, I just don't see the reason that she needs to be hiding it everywhere. What was the legal drinking age in 1974? 18. Unless they've got some kind of clause for house mothers or it was a dry campus. Mm. Yeah. Because like NSU is a dry campus. Now, ask me how many secret stashes of booze that I knew about in friends' rooms at NSU. All of them. So Mm. that's the only thing I can think of is if it was a dry campus, then yeah, she's going to have four stashes of sherry. But man, Mrs. Mack was channeling some Ruth Gordon at times. (laughs) Like, oh man. And I loved it. Yeah, she was pretty cool. I liked her very much. Um, I felt like she actually had just the right attitude for a house mother because as Adrian mentioned, these are adults. They're young adults, yes, but these are adults and they don't need a mother what they need is somebody who can provide them a little bit of guidance and just her being there. And she clearly really liked these girls, despite her dismissal of their gift, which was awful. That, that whatever that was, was awful. It was terrible. You know what happened with that gift? Jess told them they had to go get a gift. They, Barb had the money, so they let Barb go pick it out, and that's what they got. And Barb grabbed the first thing she saw and brought it home. Yeah. Okay. I, I, that, I, that's how that gift went down. I just, that's my head cannon. And For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah, I agree completely. So I feel like they set up Peter really well for the confusion about whether Peter was the bad guy or not. They did a really nice job of setting that up. One with the way he reacted to Jess, which was threatening. I mean, he was he was clearly threatening Jess. There was there was no ambiguity there at all. And then when he destroyed the piano, those are expensive. Those are expensive and they're precision instruments and it wasn't his. That's school property, Peter. You're gonna have to pay for that. Like that's Yeah. Like that's not yours, buddy. Um, but after he destroyed the piano, as as a viewer, I was, I mean, I, I, I feel like the viewer had enough information to know that it wasn't Peter, but... Um, I don't wanted it to be. 
I kind of wanted it to be. I was kind of <laughs> looking for where they were going to provide an excuse for how he made the phone call and how it was Peter. I was I was ready for them to show me that it was indeed Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like about him, uh, like air quotes, is um, like Jess isn't an idiot. She's she seems like she seems great, honestly. And so one of the things that I think is interesting is that we have to imagine that at some point she decided to date him. At some point, they were this couple that had a conversation about the things that they wanted to do. And so it just kind of shows this slow slide into this like incredibly controlling, narcissistic, abusive behavior. Here's my take on that. I think Peter thought of himself as... Um, as as the 1974 equivalent of of woke, I think Peter thought very highly of himself for being woke, um, and I strongly suspect that that was the first time he and Jess had any kind of significant disagreement. Um, I bet up until then their disagreements was whether to go have pizza or um, tacos or something, you know? So I I think that was probably the first time that something happened to knock Peter out of that. I'm such a modern man who respects an intelligent modern woman attitude. See, I don't know because to me, her reaction felt like, Oh, this again. Possible. Yeah. I, my head cannon on Peter is that, at some point he's realized he's not actually good enough to be a concert pianist. And so he's like at this, at this point dealing with the fact that he's not going to be fucking anything. Here is the one tiny crumb of credit I'm going to give Peter. And this is, this is a tiny, tiny crumb, which is that if you've got somebody who has been preparing for something for eight years and the thing they've been preparing for is eight years is this afternoon maybe give them the news that's going to really upset them that evening that's it that is that is the extent of the credit i give peter is that maybe she could have waited until after to tell him that yeah that's that's a good point i mean i i'm not that, that is a good point but i also feel like with peter if she hadn't called at all it would have been something like, I, I don't think you're wrong on the whole. He, he feels woke and that he is the modern sensitive man. He's wanting to do music, you know, like I, I just feel like he, I feel like it would have been something else for him. Like, mm-hmm. well, why didn't you tell me sooner? Why am I just now hearing about this? Why? Like I, it, it's, it's always something that's yeah. what I feel. Sure. Just the way it went down, she gave him room to blame her for his failure. Yeah. Let me see. I'm about out of things to talk about. This is another one of those. uh... Oh, let's talk about Claude. Claude. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful, sweet Claude. Let me start with this comment, which is that um, Mrs. Mack threatens to have him neutered. You do not have an intact Tom indoors you just you just don't you just do not have an intact tom indoors unless you just really enjoy the smell of cat pee because they will mark everywhere nonstop. so i really question mrs max judgment if claude has not already been neutered was this 
her which, which bottle of sherry had we seen her grab <laughs> when she said that though i think that needs to be <laughs> plot she twist was, claude is a girl <laughs> she was about 30 seconds from being impaled on a hook when she said okay that. so that's after the fourth bottle of sherry stash we found so you know she she yeah. could have been a a little bit confused or just uh mm-hmm. just just threatening is Tom still locked in the attic at the end of this movie? I think so. Oh, I mean, Claude has plenty of food up there. <laughs> we're not we're, we're not worried about that cat. I'm not worried about that cat. And that blood should keep him hydrated for a while, right? Um, it's going to coagulate. Oh, that's a bummer. But within a day or two there's going to this is gross. Within a day or two there's <laughs> there's going to be plenty of liquid for him to lick up (laughs) uh so yeah so claude nobody cares enough about claude to actually find him they look for him but they get distracted i don't know by dead people in the park and stuff um poor claude yeah yeah he's okay at the end right we never see something happen to claude so yes i'm gonna say headcanon he's fine he's okay he's he's living his best cat life up in the attic. There's probably mice up there for him. Having had an attic in a house that my cat was not to go into, um, cats are shitheads when there's a room you don't want them in. Uh, I remember Sid, who was a very, very large cat, got up into the attic and we tried to get him out and uh, he retaliated by falling through the ceiling. That tracks. Um, yeah, because when you tell a cat, no, 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 you have to step on the beams, uh, the cat doesn't care. I, having known a lot of cats, that tracks. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know well, you if don't it's... You want me to step over here? Right over here, not here? Um, I, I'd hoped that he wouldn't be big enough to fall through the ceiling, but he was. <laughs> Upside, we got him out of the attic. Um, or he got himself out of the attic. I don't think that they could have found Claude... Honestly, I think they could have searched for 80 years and never found that cat. They would only find him by going and sitting calmly on the living room couch and watching TV for a while. And he showed Yeah, up. yeah, for sure. How about Billy's one-handed up and down a ladder approach? They showed that a couple of times and each time I was so distracted. You saw his left hand grab a rung and then let go of the rung and grab the next rung. And I'm like, that is not how ladders work. That is, that is how I how feel. That's how I feel playing the Final Fantasy VII remake. Every time I watch Barrett climb a ladder, I'm like, "Really, game? Like, come on!" <laughs> He's not just he standing there. Put the hand. It, he doesn't even put the hand through. If if he would like put the hand through the ladder and go up, I'd be like, "That that works." Yeah, but or no. like loop his arm around the back of loop, loop his gun arm yeah. around the back of it because he has a, an elbow. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm just, I mean, there's, there's physics here. There's physics here, people. I feel like a lot of people just don't know how ladders work. Yeah. There, is a lot of, there are a lot of content creators out there that just don't understand them. Um, probably I'm the at act- the point. I was going to say, ahead. probably the actor was holding the handheld camera, so that's why he couldn't... You are uh, probably right. I'm just going through my notes right now and hitting what I things I said. So I'm going to talk about Lieutenant Fuller, who... Um, I really liked John Saxon, Lieutenant Fuller. Um, I appreciated that he kept going, 
hey, no, this is important. We should pay attention to this. I didn't love that somebody had to get his attention to make that happen, but I did appreciate him um, saying this is this is important. He he was the one who was listening, um, even though it did apparently require a man being involved for him to listen. But he was listening, um, which then brings me to the point that I just wrote down. Oh fuck you, Fuller, when he overheard the conversation with Peter and then started really pressing Jess on what that was about. I was like, no, no, I'm done with you, Fuller. For one thing, it was pretty clear what that was about. There was not a lot of ambiguity to what that conversation was about, but I was I was annoyed with him at that point. I, I never particularly liked him. I never felt like he was taking the girls seriously enough. Um, and then when it got to that scene... And he was like, and he kept pressing her. I was like, this is not related and you need to stop trying to make it related. Not everything is your business, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and then now 600,000 isn't a very big budget for a movie. And we've already discussed that a lot of it probably went to the cast. Um, It clearly did not go towards the throat cutting effect on Officer Jennings. Because that was the worst. That was the, let me just tell you, if you had just walked up to the actor and squirted ketchup on his neck, it would have looked better than what they did. It was, <laughs> it was pink. And I, I, I don't even know what it looked like. It did not look like someone cut his throat. I can tell you that. It did not look like someone cut his throat. It was awful. Awful. Uh, yeah. It's not good, but I like with this film that they're very sparse with the blood. Like, I I had forgotten that, that it's, you know, I think that's, you know, that and then the tableau reveal of uh, Barb and Phil, that's Mm -hmm. really about what you see of blood. And even then, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty sparse. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like that little accent of color. Yeah. But and yeah, it, I was I was thrown out of any immersion in the movie by that effect on Jennings. One of the things that I love about this movie is there's so much tension built up with these dead bodies just fucking sitting around, not actually being hidden anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like they're all just sure, like Claire's up in the attic. But she's not hidden in the attic. She's by the fucking window. And I just, I I love that all of these bodies are just left so out in the open. All it would take is one person to just walk into a room, which I mean happens later on in the film. But it's just, it's one of those things that is really, really terrifying to me. Like you, you think that you have your safety in numbers and you're like, like, this is the perfect home invasion movie because of that. Uh-huh. Because you're not alone in the house until you realize you are because everybody else is fucking dead now. Uh-huh. And in the, in the case of Claire, you know, in that, that final shot where they're pulling back from the window and pulling back and pulling back, Claire was not just sitting in that chair. You, you would not look at Claire and go, oh, she's just taking a little nap. She's just resting her eyes. Um, you know, her mouth is open. She looks like she is screaming. And you wouldn't mistake that. You, you would not look up at that and think that was anything but somebody who was either dead or dying. Yeah. Um, And I just kept thinking, does nobody look 
up? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, well, and, and, you know, the whole, the search for her going so far away from where she is because she never left the damn house. Like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, I just, that, that is one of my favorite parts of this movie. The, the, the last thing I've got to discuss, and I don't think we're discussing this in our wrap up, is they don't really explain Billy at all. I mean, Billy is clearly a crazy person, but I love that you can just kind of decide yourself what's wrong with Billy. They do in the remake. Yeah, but this is this movie. Yeah. That's what I like about this movie is there's no real explanation about who is Billy, where did he come from, what happened to him, why is he the way he is? And I think everyone just gets to decide on their own. Well, and they even had different people in the cast doing his voice. Really? Yeah. They, they, like, they had different people like essentially playing him. I think it was always the same person in the um, physical shot, but it got me thinking about uh, Happy Death Day again and how they really should have just had different people in that costume. What is the thumping sound? My dog is happy. <laughs> Excellent. Because he didn't get left in an attic with dead people who haven't been found yet. That's why he's happy. He, he's just, he's a very big dog. And when he wags his tail, it is thunderous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, Donna. I think that's the genius of this film and just the trailblazing aspect of it that there's a lot of unresolved stuff with it like mm-hmm. with where does billy come from claire and mrs mac never being found like i i just I, man that is something like the 70s did so well in horror with the bleakness there's a fantastic documentary that talks about uh called nightmares in red white and blue that talks about america coming out of the 60s and how turbulent that was and just a bleakness to a lot of horror films at that time and just not trusting people and man and i know this is a canadian film but man does it 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 hits it mm-hmm. yeah so my opinion on billy is that he was a troubled troubled child and that his parents knew that and somebody accidentally left billy alone with a baby and that his life got worse after that it wasn't good before that but it got worse after that that's my head cannon. Yeah, I like it. I, you know, I just, yeah, I, I just like the unknown of it. Like you just, it's like you said, you you decide what you mm-hmm. what you want it to be. Are we ready to wrap up? Does anyone else have anything to talk about? I want to talk about some of the tropes in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the one that stands out the most to me is the idea of the final girl, and I understand that this movie happened before final girls were a thing um but you know the fact that this gets called back to so often i want to point out that while we don't necessarily have the general journey of a final girl she does discover the bodies of two or she does discover two of the bodies but she is not only not a virgin she's fucking pregnant and wanting an abortion and wanting an abortion she may not have like smoked or gotten high or any, but she has had fucking sex. And mm. I love that. And the I also, virgin died first. Yeah. The virgin died first. Um, furthermore, I don't. Okay. So this is one of those moments where I'm about to say something where if anybody ever takes this out of context, like I am canceled like that. So don't, 
do I that. I got your back. <laughs> um, the movie is then left with the option of killing a pregnant woman or letting her live. And I kind of love that that's what they have to do. They either have mm-hmm. to let this girl have her abortion or they have to kill a pregnant woman. Because they left her in that house. Yeah. <laughs> and the implication is that Billy's coming back down out of the attic. So yeah. they left her sedated alone yeah. in that house. Yeah. yeah. So she's either fucking dead or she gets to live. So kill the pregnant woman or let her have her abortion. Ba ba ba. That's the end of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that might just be the biggest, that, that might be the only trope I really wanted to talk about because I already no, talked about good. the. The suspend or the the suspense of the bodies. Yeah, no, I love that. Like that, I wish that I wish that this movie were actually the template for slasher movies as much as people say that it is the template for slasher movies. Because in my opinion, this is the most watchable and most relatable slasher movie. Yeah, it was. I I have never been so pleased to be wrong about a movie. As I yeah. was in the, you know, in, like I said, the first 10 minutes. I couldn't time. remember. I, it had been, a, I've seen this movie a couple of times, but I couldn't remember. And so when you said that, I was like, huh, I want, like, this is going to be an uncomfortable podcast to do tomorrow, I guess. And then as I was watching it and it was leading up to that line, I was like, oh, no, I know why <laughs> she, I remember now. I just think we need to point out that we all like a slasher film like this is a one that we all agree on like there's ones that like half of us will or one of us will but the fact this one that we all agree on that's that's, that's kind of a big deal that's a good I mean, point like i, I had to realize that the, the, there's so many things that they do right the characters aren't fucking idiots like you know even though barb said a really shitty thing you're just like i'm not excited when she dies like she still had character development enough and there's so many so many slasher movies that it seems like the goal is just like let's make you hate them so that you'll cheer when they die and like nah man i don't want to be happy when people die that's not like i'm not watching this movie so that i can be excited when when somebody dies that's not the kind of person i want to be actually i was just very distracted by oh my god they're killing barb with a unicorn that was uh, <laughs> that was uh, like oh my god oh my gosh and they killed claire like he suffocated her like her father was suffocating her mm. so what is what is what does the hook do oh, i don't know uh we got the big ones we're <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna skate on by what kind uh, of hook was it it was it was like a hook on a pulley, which, by the way, if you swung it at somebody, it has sideway force. It doesn't have upwards force, so it would have hit her, but it wouldn't have hooked her. But that's beside the point. Um, okay, I'm scrolling up here. Okay, McHenry is surprised by Claire's absence. Blah, blah, blah. She's not dead yet in this summary. Where does she die? Uh, Mrs. Mac dies. Does she die before or after Barb? Before Barb. Before Barb. Okay, so I must have missed. Yeah, okay. she's, she's number a two. crane hook. Okay, so yeah, Mrs. Mack plans to leave for her sister's home, only to be lured into the attic where she discovers Claire's body. The killer throws a crane hook into her face, hanging and killing her. I don't, I can't think of a good metaphor for that right now. Maybe one of our listeners will. 
Yeah. But like the suffocation and the unicorn are both really, really good. Yeah. All right. So do we have Should, anything else before wrap up? Yeah. Before we start wrapping up. Not right. for me. Not for me. How does Phyllis die? You don't, don't ever sh- see it. He just she's goes off in the screen. Room. Yeah. Basically okay. she goes in the room and you hear the door slam, so you know she's not alone. But we don't actually see it. She's just part of the final The tableau. Part. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, Phyllis didn't get a lot. Phyllis got wronged in this movie. No. I mean, it's a big cast, though, so somebody had to, I guess. They had they had other things. Uh, I do, before we wrap up real fast, I do want to point out that Bob Clark is known. I, I love that this is what he's known for. He's the one that wrote and directed A Christmas Story. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yes. He is known for that. And uh, I also forgot that he directed Porky's. So. Oh, no. <laughs> a little... Um, a little fun, uh, a fun fact for uh, about Bob Clark. Just the fact with a Christmas story, which people are like, "This is the the Christmas movie." And anyway, it just made me laugh. I thought those who didn't know should know. But now I really don't have anything. If you don't know, you know now you now know. you know. All right. Well, I have our quote, which is "Ho ho ho, shit," and "Ho ho ho, fuck." <laughs> All right. Adrian, you have a rule. Uh, if you have entrusted somebody to protect you and they tell you to get out of the house, get out of the fucking house. Just leave. That's it. <laughs> I'm not saying trust the cops because probably don't do that. Uh, but but just leave the house. Yeah. Just just walk out. Mm-hmm. But I do- just like it's it's one of those things where it's like you. I, I see this in movies a lot where somebody calls or t- is talking to somebody and they're like, "We have to go," and somebody's like, "Explain it to me now," and they're like, "No, we don't have time," and they're like, "I'm not moving," and I'm like, "Just you can talk on the way. This isn't D and D. You can take multiple actions simultaneously." <laughs> Side note: If I'm ever getting that text from any one of you guys, I'm leaving. I'm not gonna wait around and find why do I gotta go. No, I'm gone. Yeah, it t- yeah. It may take me a minute to put my shoes on and get my purse, but. I'm gone. It, it, depending on the urgency of the message, I will leave faster. I will leave my shoes. It's fine. You know. But yeah, like if, if, now if I get a call from a stranger who's like, get out of the house, I'm going to be like, nah, man, I've read uh, Joey's Carol Oates. You're going to have to explain this to me. But if it's like somebody I know who's like, you got to get out of the house, I'm going to be like, okay, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell me on the way. It's like, all right, I'll be outside. All right, Donna, you had our poll. Yeah. Um... I am curious, who do you think killed Peter? I'll go first. I, I think it was Jess. I think he started coming towards her. And I mean, you already saw she had the fire poker. And he started moving towards her like he was trying to either grab or hug her. And she just stabbed him. So yeah, I, I think it was Jess. I agree. Um, because he didn't he, he, he broke the window to get to her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Granted, from his POV, he's looking into the basement. He sees his pregnant fucking girlfriend freaking out about something. So he's like, oh, I'm going to go rescue her. Giving him the absolute most benefit of the doubt that I possibly can give him. And what she sees is somebody who has been honestly kind of terrorizing her. Mm -hmm. Breaking through a fucking window to the place that she has just come for safety after seeing dead bodies. Uh, I, I think Jess did. Y'all make some really compelling arguments. I um, am a little, I'm a little persuaded. I, I think Billy killed Peter. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is 
I don't think Jess has done any. The closest thing to a violent move she's made is when she slammed the door back into Billy. Which I loved, by the way. That was so great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She hasn't shown any sign of violence. And when they find her, she's sitting with Peter's head in her lap. And, and I got to tell you, if I just beat someone to death with a fireplace poker, which is not an experience I ever had, just to be clear, but I suspect that if I had just beat someone to death with a fireplace poker, I would then not put their head in my lap I cradle ha- them. Having also not beaten anybody to death with anything, actually, I can imagine that I might, if I thought that I had just killed a person that I cared about, mm. then you realize, oh, f- damn, this person's dying, let me comfort them. Because, oops. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with Adrian. Like, if it's something, if that was my mistake and I realized, oh, shit, I have killed somebody that that is an innocent, then I, I'm i going to feel a lot of remorse and I would cradle, cradle them. So, yeah, that's all. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We do appreciate your support. We are on social media. Uh, on we're on Twitter at Beyond Cabin, and we do have an Instagram and a Facebook page, which is Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. Our webpage is beyondthecabininthewoods.com. If you want to follow us on any of the social medias, I am on Twitter and Instagram as Callista77. I'm on Twitter at SoonerDVM. Um, right now, my Twitter is mainly uh, retweeting political posts and dispensing wisdom from the otter and animal crossing and you can find me on <laughs> you can find me on instagram at donna underscore Leahy. there's not a lot on instagram for me but i'd still love to have you um i thought of one more thing and that is uh the scene where barb dies and nobody can hear her screaming because of the carolers and that's another thing that i love like the scene in I Know What You Did Last Summer when Sarah Michelle Gellar dies like five feet away from the fucking parade and hundreds of people. It's like, I love those moments where it's like, you have done everything right and yet you will still die here. Not that Sarah Michelle Gellar did. She should have just kept going. Anyway, um, you can find me on Twitter at Junkyard Poet. There's not a lot going on my Instagram right now, but if you really want to, it's uh, Saint of Unicorns. And uh, you can find me on Tumblr at Splatterhouse-5. That's all I got. Okay. We're also part of the Gumby Cat Network, so definitely check them out. And as always, thank you so much to our editor, Billy, for making us sound fantastic. Thank you, Billy. Not that Billy. Other Billy. Yeah, not Black Christmas Billy. The the non-murderous Billy, I assume. We hope. I (laughs) I don't want to make too many assumptions here, but... Presumably the non-murderous Billy. <laughs> and don't read the Latin. Do you know what horror is? Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow.